Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Mike Diamond. Mike is a television personality, director, life coach, and interventionist. He is best known for his work on the hit TV shows New York Inc. and Bondi Inc. Tattoo Crew, which is currently nominated for a Logie Award for Best Reality Series. Mike was kind enough to join us on the podcast to discuss motivation, mindset, breaking down mental barriers, and overcoming adversity. How are you, brother? I'm very well, thank you. Where are you? I'm in LA. Ah, you're in LA. Okay. I thought you'd made a sneaky trip to Australia at some point before lockdown. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was pretty funny. I mean, I'm busy as hell, so that would have been a bad move. I, I, with, I'm, I'm so busy with interventions because everyone's fucking melting down and rioting yeah. and just acting like an asshole. Yeah, yeah. I can so, imagine it's a crazy time. It's, for you. <laughs> it's all right. It's no, what no, it is. No sneaky trips back to Australia anytime soon? No. I mean, yeah, no, I'm too busy. I got a new book coming out. I got a tour plan next year. I got too much stuff going on. America needs you more than ever. <laughs> I was going to say, I, it's a good time for me, honestly. Yeah, I, I guess know, sounds and lockdowns and race riots are good for mindset people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm on like five different podcasts. I created. I will talk about it. Yeah, this yeah. is this is this was this is awesome for me. I had no complaints. <laughs> so, I'm like, bring it. Every so often, we like to throw in a bit of a a bit of a different podcast, different flavor, look at things a little bit differently, whether it be someone in, in meditation or nutrition or I think that um, with the way the world's going right now, we could probably use a little bit of, uh, I don't want to use the word Tony Robbins because that's probably a little bit cliched, but just in terms of reassessing where our mind's at and how we can sort of take what's happened and, and sort of move forward positively with, with the new world, dealing with what's happened and, and how we sort of take take steps forward to do things differently and and thrive from this disaster rather than you know, be sort of a, a victim of it. Well, I'll do this. You guys ask the questions and I will keep in mind the aesthetic stuff. Um, <laughs> sure. No, no, just to make it easier. And I will sculpt the answers to, look, we're all being affected in different ways. And I just finished a pod. I do a weekly podcast with Dave Melser on entrepreneurship, but he brings me on because I take the addiction side of the addict, the entrepreneur, like, so he does more of the, general like that stuff so it, it all relates because it's mental health exactly and this affects our mental health and if we don't take care of our mental health with whatever job it is it's going it's as a ripple effect yeah well i think a lot of people see mental health as this sort of side thing it's got a lot of stigma attached to it um i think as we learn more about ourselves and, and human biology we are having a, a much a greater appreciation between the connection between the mind and the body what we think how we feel affects our physio our, our bodies our health um you know there's a reason why the placebo effect's a real thing absolutely we are our own chemistry exactly. and we, we are uh, we're, if we know how to program the brain correctly we can heal ourselves naturally absolutely so I guess just for people listening out there, could you just give us a little bit of the Mike, the Mike, the, the five minute Mike Diamond elevator pitch story, just so we know who you are, <laughs> what's the context around you? All right. So I'm 14 years sober. I'm a motivational speaker. I'm an author. I'm an interventionist. 
and I'm a sober coach and a life coach. And right. it all started, um, I had to, I call it economic alchemy. It's being able to take your personality and blend multiple things to be successful. So I realized that when I was working as a sober coach, I was just hired as an interventionist and like a mercenary to go in and throw people in rehabs. And I realized that I had to find a niche. And then I took a massive risk because people said, if you start talking about your sobriety and you start talking about this, you're going to box yourself in. And I didn't. I went so far outside the box. Now people looking at me going, oh, wow, because you're so open about it and you've been talking about it so long, people need help. So who do they come to? They come to me. So it's worked on all levels because, you know, if a business is crumbling and someone needs help, needs an addiction specialist, they call me. I mean, I got sober. I didn't go to rehab. No one did an intervention on me. I decided it was time. It was done. And I went to AA meetings three times a day because I was like, they said, well, do one a day. I'm like, I'll do three. And I still was opening bars because that I was in New York. It's not like I could check into a fancy rehab. I was in New York City and that's how I did it. So, you know, it's just, I go into the belly of the beast and get it done. You steer into it. Yeah. You steer Straight into, into the it. fire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people, when they, when they hear the word addiction, they think drugs, alcohol, addiction takes, it takes form in so many different ways. People, it's basically a crutch in my opinion, um, to deal with something that they can't sort of deal with alone. So whether it be addiction to work, addiction to sex, addicted to whatever it is, it's, it doesn't just have to be that stereotypical thing around drugs and alcohol. There are many other crutches that people use and, and, and form an addiction with. And they can be equally as unhealthy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you've got to find some kind of balance yeah. in life. You know what I mean? And, and if you look at life, if you look at your spiritual life, you, you know, then you go into your health, then you go into your family life, any kind of family. So people say, well, I don't have a family. Well, you've got some kind of family. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then you start to break down the process of work and a calling and and all these things. And if you start to look at it on a broad spectrum, like I work with a lot of people that have a ton of money, but they have no purpose and yeah. they, they're miserable. So they're work addicts, you know what I mean? Yeah. The workaholic. So it, it's, we, we, we'll, look, no one gets off scot-free. We all have, we're all flawed in some way. Absolutely. It's just the way life is, you know? So Jake, you, you and I, we, we have a lot of, uh, <laughs> Jake, Jake and I come from very similar backgrounds in terms of ethnicity. We're the same age. We both work in the aesthetics industry. Jake's a doctor that's been um, trained, I guess, um, in a more traditional sort of way in terms of his education. Um, and I sort of come at things from a slightly different angle because I don't really have a formal education. I've sort of <laughs> learned through life and lots of mistakes and so on. So it's interesting, the dynamic between Jake and I, because I'll go, hey, let's get this person on. Let's have a chat to Mike. And Jake's like, oh, I don't really get it. I understand it. Where's the science? All these sorts of stuff. So I sit there looking at Jake and I sort of, it, it's interesting because um, having someone on like yourself, I can see Jake going, you know, how do I feel about all this? Because it's, we've got such opposing mindsets. So it, it, it's, um, I don't, I don't know how to say this. It, it's not, it, it's, it's not my realm. I, I don't like, you know, when you talk to me about the Tony Robbins podcast or whatever, and you get really excited about, you know, motivation and uh, changing yourself, whatever. I'm like, I just don't have that drive. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, um, I'm not uncomfortable enough in my life to want to make that change. Maybe. I, I don't know. Mike, you, you, you must meet people like me who are kind of too tunnel vision to, to get out the box. Maybe. 
I don't think you're tunnel vision. I look at it like this. Every human being is trying to avoid pain and gain some kind of pleasure. Now, based on your past, you have a different map of reality to me and David. You've gathered a certain information up until this point. So if you've studied and you've become a doctor, there is a process to become a doctor. Very simple. You've had to follow a path. Therefore, you've had some kind of motivation. That's called forward motivation. You had to be driven in some way to close the gap from where you were to where you are now. Yeah. So you you are motivated. It's where you focus because what you focus on expands. So it's not like you're unmotivated. You've just focused in an area that brings you purpose. Yeah, because I've listened. I, I did a uh, a little bit of research on you before you came on, and I was like, "Wow, this guy has actually had a really tough life." And so I was like, "Okay, I totally get it." Like, you know, he needed to sort of turn that around, and so that's where I'm assuming you've channeled your energy. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. Being undiagnosed dyslexic, I think if they picked up my dyslexia a little earlier and they gave me modalities to understand how to study like that. I I would have probably done better at school. If I didn't suffer all the abuse, I wouldn't have become – definitely the addiction is genetic, absolutely. Mm. But, you know, and you'll know this, that, you know, the environment can trigger the gene. I mean, yeah, if you absolutely. went to med school, you studied uh, Pavlo's dog's theory, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So when you look at Pavlo's dog, you ring the bell, the saliva, ring the bell, saliva, uh, you know, when you feed the dog. so. The environment will trigger it, but the mind, if you can control the mind, the mind affects the gut, right? The stomach, right? The second, the, the, st- the stomach is affected by how we think and feel and act, right? Yeah, I guess, you know, when you're nervous, the first thing that you feel is you, you just feel sick, you feel nauseous. Right. So when you think about sex all day, what happens? Well, David gets horny. I don't know. <laughs> we all get horny, right? <laughs> think about it. If you think about and ruminate on sex all day, you get horny, right? Yeah. So you understand the brain has neurotransmitters, right? Those neurotransmitters affect the neuropeptides in the body, correct? Yes. Right? So there's eight glands, uh, seven glands, correct? I don't know. When you start from (laughs) the bottom glands or up to the top, right? And the the sixth gland is the pineal gland. The glands affect the energy centers of the body, which some people call in Eastern medicine chakras. Yeah, I think there's a lot that us uh, traditionally trained in Western medicine, we, we haven't made that connection yet. But, you know, okay. Chinese medicine or Indian medicine probably realized these things a long time ago, but couldn't sort of explain them in a way that maybe would be palatable to a Western doctor. Right, but, but you still have a basis of the mind affects the body. Hmm. right yeah absolutely okay so you're not far off you just have a different approach (laughs) and you're not unmotivated because you couldn't have got through med school and he wouldn't be able to put up with me if he wasn't motivated (laughs) well it's just look it's all frame of reference right it's all perspective based yeah so you could come at something and we all saw it different i'll give you a perfect example jake when you go on a holiday if you're going to plan to go on a holiday somewhere is it the people Is it the place? Is it the information or the activities? 100% the place. I want a beach and nothing else. You don't care about people? No. Right? How about you, Dave? Oh, God. That's a good question. What were the options again? There was people, place? People, place, activities, or information? Activities. 
Okay. Some people. Yeah. I hate Paris because the people, the people, I don't like the people in Paris to root. Yeah. Say, so, so I saw through people. So what's my inclination to work with people? Mm. See what I'm saying? So we all saw different. So if someone comes to me, I look at how they sort information. Do you know right. what I mean? There's no point in me going to you, Jake, if you like activities or you're motivated differently. So the problem is, is we get caught up in thinking we're all different. We all saw different and that's okay. Your opinion is not wrong. It's just how your focus, where you focus. Yeah. It's funny when we did the meditation podcast and a little bit, the exercise podcast, I kind of feel like it's a, Jake's weird 101 because David and I are just so polarized <laughs> in, in the spectrum of where we think about things. It's quite funny. It's good. You should but, see the SMS jousting between the two of us. It's almost <laughs> it's almost on a like a weekly basis. We'll get stuck into each other and it's just these. <laughs> we should post them one day, Jake. It'd be hilarious. But here's a perfect example, Jake. Because All right. So what, what do you like to do? What's a hobby? Uh, genuinely. <laughs> uh, and this is probably where you're going to tell me I need to change my life. I, I don't have any hobbies. You do have something. Is there something? Do you like to read? Do you like to walk? Do you like to play video games? No. You like sport. You like you like oh, following football and oh, when I have time. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, here's a question. When you're doing surgery, do you get lost in the surgery? Well, I don't do surgery anymore, but yes, so I love work. I, and, and that's – it's not a problem because I'm very clear that, you know, my boundaries are work and then home. But I love work. Like that's what motivates me. Okay, perfect. But but I bet when you're working, right, you get lost in it. The yeah, process. Absolutely. You you get in flow. That's a form of meditation. You're in flow. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. You can be like, Oh my god, I can't believe the whole day's gone. I was just enjoying myself and, you know, doing doing what I do. I think a lot of the time a lot of people in life they don't like what they do. They they get stuck in jobs, doing things that they don't find engaging, that's soul destroying, they feel like they're on a treadmill. Whereas you've been lucky enough to to find something in life that you love. So your work is your hobby. Your work is your passion. You don't feel like you need anything outside of that other than your personal time with your family and, and going out with friends and socializing. But in terms of finding that extracurricular, extracurricular activity, for you, that is work. Yeah, but 10 and a half years in hospital took me to realize that I need to change yeah. something. Hence, now I'm Literally. very happy doing what I do. Yeah, but see, you just said it. You suffered pain to make change. Yeah, and you were mo- a lot of pain. So you are motivated. Yeah. So you were motivated because you were motivated to change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. <laughs> um, this leads on okay. to um, one of the other questions okay. I was going to ask you, Mike, in terms of okay. this whole human uh, phenomenon, which is we accept pleasure now with the full knowledge of the pain that's coming later. So we go out drinking. We know we're going to wake up with a fucking hangover. Like it's, we know that's going to happen. We... Don't, we don't go to the gym, but we know later in life, you know, we're probably going to have to do something about our health or our body composition. Whereas when it's the other way around, when you're like faced with like having to do the hard work first, but knowing that the benefit of that's going to come later, it seems, it seems like people just choose that other option. And I don't understand why. And I mean, I, even, I don't even understand it myself, like getting up this morning to go to the gym, like, God, I really don't want to get out of bed. I just really don't want to do it. But I feel so great afterwards. And I've done it a hundred times, but I still go through that mental struggle every, every single day and I don't understand why it is. Oh, well, it's, it's a brain association and it's um, neuro association. For, first of all, every human being, me, the three of us, are all looking for four things. Dose, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. 
we're all there are happy chemicals in our brain. Now, unfortunately, marketers understand that. So that's why video games, that's why sugars, that's why porn, it spikes the dopamine receptors. Now, when we set a goal, everyone knows what they want to avoid, which is being homeless, you know what I mean, all these negative things. But what's the forward motivation? So you have to reassociate your pleasure and pain centers, right? So for me, getting up at four in the morning, I associate so much pleasure knowing at seven I'm going to feel good that at four I just get up and I can delay that much gratification because I've got a forward goal of completion. What keeps people stuck is they can't associate and disassociate. So if I, for example, used to do massive amounts of cocaine, I did it because it spikes massive amounts of dopamine in the brain. But once I associated pain and regret with cocaine and drinking, I never went back. Is that like when you have a food that makes you sick and you get food poison, you don't want to touch it for like six months? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like well, if you go out and drink, drink like, I'm never doing this again. And then they do it. Well, well, here's the thing. But if you drank a certain kind of alcohol and got really, 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 really ill on it, you probably wouldn't drink that alcohol. Say it was wine. Say you were a young kid, you got too drunk on wine, yep. you got a splitting headache. Chances are the association, it's like a trauma thing. You're like, I'm not going near that again. So it's how you rewire your brain of what you want and why you want it. Actually, I had that, I had that situation. I got really, really, really drunk when I was 12 years old at a bar mitzvah on, on sacramental wine. We broke into <laughs> the, uh, the wine cellar at a synagogue. And uh, <laughs> I still can't look at If I have uh, one glass of red wine is my absolute maximum. If I have any more than that, I start to feel really sick. And that there was like I'm 40 this year, and that was when I was 12. There you go. See, you got a neuro association. Right. So if, if, if you can inside your brain, like when I make a vision board, the reason I do is I look at the things I want, right? That, that's my forward motivation. I look at the things I've achieved. That keeps me positive when things show up. And then I look at the things that I lost. So that regret of not following through if I lost a business deal or I lost a TV show or I lost a relationship, I look at why I lost it and I look at all three. And by looking at all those three continually, it reprograms the subconscious mind to keep moving forward to what I want. So how do you train the average person to do that? How do you sort of, how do people go through that process of, because I'd like to know how to do it. I mean, I, I just, I struggle through it and just push myself just through she determination, but it never gets easier as, as everyone likes to say it does. It kind of does to a degree, but then the law of diminishing returns kicks in and you're sort of still stuck with that. That's the, Okay. That so the, the way the brain works, the first seven years of life, we're in a theta brainwave. So the theta brainwave is a hypnotic meditative state. Lazanoff was a famous man and he studied these kids that could learn the whole Quran. And he realized when you slow down the brainwaves into a theta, you can put suggestions in on reprogramming. That's why just saying, you know, positive affirmations doesn't work unless you go into the theta brainwave. Two times of the day, you're in a theta brainwave when you first wake up and when you first go to bed. But you can also play theta brainwave and then start putting in the programming to reprogram your brain. So if you really have forward motivation to do something and you start working in the theta brainwave, you will get into that that software and start reprogramming the brain so you actually start to see things correctly and visualize what you want. So how do you get into that brain state? 
You can actually go uh, online and get like actual Theta Brainwave like tapes. How do you spell that? You can Sorry, silly question. Theta, T H E. Yeah, exactly. You want to say it? You're right. Sorry. T H E. That's it. Okay. But hold on. So you're saying it's a sound or? It's a sound, it's a vibration. Now, there's certain tracks that are played in a Theta Brainwave. If you study, I think it's the third concerto, I may be wrong, of Mozart, it's actually in a Theta vibration that they would put this Mozart track on. Like if you look on YouTube, it's like Mozart, Brain I'm trying power. to find it right now. I'm going to play one. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. It, it gets you into the Theta Brainwaves. If you go on YouTube and look up Theta Brainwaves, it's, it's just a, it's a frequency that's right in the middle. And if you put it on and you lay down, it'll, it'll drop you down into sleep. It's almost like you're trying to program your TV. You need to get it into that certain thing so I can pick up the right signal when you're programming channels in. Ready for a bit that's of brainwaves? Yeah, so let's do it, Jay. Impromptu. Let's go. <laughs> so good. Can't can hear, hear it. it. That's it. It's like um, hypnotic chill kind of music. Now, if you put the cans on and if you're really clever and then you put, so you put a Theta Brainwave on and then do a little voiceover of what you want to manifest or whatever you want and you play that every night or during the day, Bruce Lipton's really big, Joe Dispenser, these guys are the masters at it. These are the guys that I study and they have got so on point with it. So when I take a young kid that's an addict and I know the first part of his life, because look, look at it like this. Everything we gather in the first seven years, whether we like it or not, has programmed our brain. Yeah. Yeah, you're right? yeah. your parents, your school, your environment, whoever. So if a kid's making disempowering choices. Sorry, guys, my TV has just spontaneously turned on. Give me a <laughs> <laughs> It's the theater so, brainwaves. We've, right? we've, we've, we've programmed your TV. <laughs> we hacked something there. That's <laughs> so good. The Matrix. Uh, so good. Wow, that was very creepy. I have uh, goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> That's amazing. A guy Did you hear an image? That, yeah, yeah, I didn't know what it was. Um, oh my god. Okay, that's never done that so, before. All right. So, <laughs> so right. So if I get a young kid and I and I look at his making disempowering choices, all I do is go back and I just start to slow the brainwaves down and get inside that program and start making different suggestions, especially with addicts, you know, that are being triggered by the environment. And, and then we start to look at what's triggering the person to make the disempowering choices. So you can really reprogram your whole brain if you know how. So how are we going to spin this for business owners or people? It's really simple. In, in yeah. our field, like if they're in a rut, if they're thinking, shit, you know, we've just had, two or three months of lockdown. I don't know what to do. Like how, do, how does a business owner get into that sort of frame of mind to change their negative thinking? Awesome. That's a good question. All right. So first of all is this, um, and I think you unconsciously said it without saying it. You became a doctor and you said that you find it, you love your work, that it gives you purpose. Yes, exactly. And and during the lockdown, I, I definitely felt a lack of purpose. Ah, now here's the twist. When we're under crisis, purpose, purpose is the glue that keeps us together. Mm -hmm. We find purpose when we become of service. Yes. So when you're not of service, you're not of purpose. And what I mean is this. There's a famous story with these three guys and they're working 
And a guy goes over to the first guy and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a bricklayer. It's my job. Goes over to the second guy. What are you doing? I'm a bricklayer. It's my career. Goes over to the third guy. What are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. It's my calling. So they say the guy building the cathedral has a purpose, a mission. I like to flip that on its head and piss people off. And I say this, forget that. Three guys working on a cathedral. Guy walks over the first guy, what do you do? I'm a brickie, it's my job. Second guy, I'm a brickie, it's my career. Third guy, I'm a brickie, it's my calling. Whether I'm building a cathedral or a barn, I bring value to other people and I'm of service. Mm -hmm. That's a difference. So I go out every day to inspire, educate, and motivate in whatever I do. And if I can inspire someone, educate and motivate, then I'm being of service and bringing them value because people always need inspiration, education, and motivation. So if someone's on lockdown, the lockdown is really good, and I'll tell you why. People have been told to do what? Go inside, right? Yeah, hide. But what have they been really told to do? Go inside here. He's pointing to his brain. Go inside (laughs) here. They're being told to slow down yeah, and go inside and process. And we don't like to process because people always say, I don't like to be alone with my own thoughts. Well, whose thoughts are they? So when you hit the wall, it's time to process and figure out how to be of service and of purpose. So when your business is going down, This is bigger than you and I. This is economic. This is a global catastrophe, right? A global pandemic. I went through September 11th, and the first thing I did in being an Aussie, watching the towers come down, I went out in the street and helped people. Hmm. I was like, what do I need to do? So now people need to assess their business model and say, okay, you know, how can I be of service? How can I bring value? Now, what brings value is having skills. You're a doctor. You have skills that you've got a massive amount of skill. You may have to adjust your business model and change pricing and do stuff, but you have skill so you can be of service to anyone. So there's no, you, you're recession proof. You could always, you know what I'm saying? If you don't have skill, then you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see what I mean? So some, anyone, for me, is it is it bad? No, I'm a motivational speaker. People need motivation. I'm an addiction specialist. I do interventions. People are relapsing like flies, right? I can educate people with their nutrition because that's what I studied and I've, I've healed myself from ulcerative colitis. Okay, I'll write more books. I'll get on more podcasts. Be more positive. Can you explain like how, how you got into like motivational speaking? I mean, is it something that you can yeah. learn formally or did you sort of stumble across it because you realized that you did it for yourself or? You know, it's a really good question. I went to acting school, left acting school, was in the bar business for years. I've always, Australia is not really, doesn't really celebrate entrepreneurship, but I was always really good at opening businesses. And it wasn't something that I expected to do. What happened was I was watching a really, a lot of motivational speakers had done stand up comedy for years that just weren't good. And I was like, you know what? People need reality and truth. So I stepped back and I call it this. It's called economic alchemy. You have to find a niche in whatever you do in the market. And that makes you 
exceptional. Do you know what I mean? If you look at Rockefeller, Rockefeller was a genius because he was watching them put do the, all the oil. The oil was hitting. He's like, it's not about oil. We've got to find a way to use oil. Mm-hmm. And then he took the oil, grabbed a little scientist, and used the oil to do the kerosene. And the kerosene ended up becoming the lamps. And then he took it again and was the, the alchemist. And what did he do? Standard oil. Then he did gasoline. So it's the ability to step back and look at the marketplace and say, okay, what's my niche? So I realized there was no guys like me that were talking about addiction the way I was talking about it because it was forbidden. Don't talk about being an addict. Don't talk about smoking crack. Don't talk about doing heroin. Don't talk about your sobriety in public. You'll lose your jobs. I'm booked at every high school because I can help a young kid that's struggling because I got kicked out of school. Yeah. So I just realized if I go out and tell the truth and I do the work, it worked for me. And now I'm slammed as a motivational speaker or I'm, I'm booked, fully booked all the time. Yeah. Why do you think the term motivational speaker or life coach is such a polarizing term for people? It's sort of, so a lot of people go, yeah, that sounds great. A lot of people go, eh, whatever. Like, is, is that shit real? Like I've heard this before. I've seen Tony Robbins get up there and get people walk on coals and they go back every year and they hear the same story every year, but they're back there every year. So obviously it's not working. Um, why do you think people sort of think think like that? I think it's really interesting. So I think there's a few things, and someone said it the other day. We grew up in Australia. No one talks about therapy. No one talks about mentorship. And motivational speakers are looked down on, right? So I think because you get a dose of positivity from a, a tape or going to the gym once, but that's just one thing. Do you see what I'm saying? But there's nothing wrong with a motivational speaker that's authentic, that's giving you great inspiration. If they've got an inspiring story that may trigger something. But I can tell people, right, they go to one AA meeting and I'm like, what do you do the rest of the day? Well, I went to a meeting. You've got a motivational speaker. An AA meeting, going to see a speaker is a motivational speaker. Yeah. Listening to a podcast of an inspiring guy, that's a motivational speaker. You listen, some people go to listen to Joe Rogan's experience, right? He's motivating them. There's a lot of great podcast impact theory, full of great motivational speakers, but it gets a bad term as well because people aren't authentic. There's a lot of charlatans out there. Yeah. Yeah. That promise this and I'll get you this and I'll get you that. My job is to go out and be a science project and go out and do stuff and then tell people, okay, I did this in this area of my life or I failed in this area of my life in business or I failed, try this, try these tools. So if you're, it's nowadays it's great because it separates the good from the great because if you suck, people, you're exposed. People don't yeah. have the money to pay for crap. Yeah, there's, no, there's nowhere to hide these days. Um, so in terms of getting back to our industry where we've got people that are coming out of lockdown, we've got a fairly saturated market although i think the market still has room to grow it's growing every year but there's there seems to be an infinite amount of people entering into the space and jake can probably talk to that as well but what do you think people can do whether they be a cosmetic injector or a plastic surgeon whatever the case may be what can they do right now in your opinion to really set themselves apart from the competitors and 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 what can they do for their clients what can they do to make their experiences memorable or to stand out with their clients to make them different from everyone else I think it's all about rapport. Every yeah. business you go through is about rapport and building rapport. And what I mean by that is if, if I was in the aesthetic business 
I would go, okay, I'm not just doing you two guys. I do your whole network because everyone you meet is going to then go, Hey, I went to this guy, Mike Diamond. He's the man. Yeah. But people don't want to build rapport. So if you came to me for a consultation, to me, that meeting is a life meeting. That's what networking is. And that's what they teach you in America because you can't survive in New York if you can't network. There's 330 million people that hustle in America. So if you don't build rapport in your business right now, you have zero value. Do you see what I'm saying? It's yeah. about me sitting down with someone and asking you what you want. What do you want from this experience, this aesthetic experience? What do you really, what do you want? And then me going, okay, I'm a professional in my field. I'm the best in the business and I'm going to make sure you're happy. But also I'm going to make sure that you as, as my customer will also go, hey, I'm referring you to a hundred other people. Yeah, and that's the best referral you can get. You don't want to really rely on marketing. You want to rely on people going and singing your praises and telling their mates and their mom and everyone else. Yeah. You know, and that takes time. And that's, and you know what, I'll tell you what as well. If you don't want to do it, like Jake said, he loves his job. If you don't want to do it for the right reasons, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, 100%. We see that do a lot. Do you know what I mean? We see so that a I lot. Don't, I'm, I'm recession-proof because you know what? Look, I got a text. I got a text... What was it? Oh, let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, no, to my phone. That literally, I got a client in London. We're doing Zoom calls to keep him sober. Text yesterday. Wasn't supposed to check in with me. Just we check in every couple of days. I'm done. I'm going to kill myself. Wow. What do I do? I pick up the phone. I had other meetings. I had a podcast. I'm going to get off the podcast. I'm like, I got to get this. I got to spend an hour with this guy on the phone. Now, some people will like, go to a meeting, call a suicide hotline. No, 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 no. I signed up to help people. That means I've got to spend an hour on the phone with this guy or two hours or three hours and move my day around. That's what people aren't willing to do. That yeah. builds, that, you know, that's what we have to do now. People are suffering. People are really in pain. Yeah. You know, we have to be good people and help people. Yeah, we were discussing sort of from the business angle that we believe it's about the customer service. Of course, you know, you want to give them a good treatment, but like you said, you want to make people feel special and come back and feel like you're actually invested in them. Give you a perfect example. What what is the um what's the most lucrative part of the business? Which part of is it boob? It, well, I'm just being open. Is it boobs? Is it what is it? Oh yeah, I mean if you're a plastic surgeon, it would be breasts, probably. Yeah. Okay. Well, All right, well, breasts. There's a guy, there's a guy in Miami called Lenny Rudner. And he at one stage was doing more plastic sur more boobs than anyone. He was like famous. He's still probably doing it. And he is the nicest, the sweetest, would call people up, personally send them cards. Like he just built so much. I didn't know what he did. He used to come in the clubs and I was like, what do you do? Because I'm a plastic surgeon. I'm like, you're a plastic surgeon. <laughs> He's like, yeah. It's, and you would never, he made a fortune, but he was so good to people. He would always pick up the phone. Mm, yeah. I feel that um, in some ways our industry by our own doing has become almost commoditized where it's just a transaction. People are coming in for, they want to get a wrinkle treated. They want to get their lips done, whatever the case may be. There's a need, we treat the need, we say thank you very much, send you on your way. But in terms of creating that experience, as you said, creating that rapport, understanding what makes that person tick, what do they feel about themselves when they're with you? Do, do, do they feel like you have a connection, you really understand what, what drives them? It seems to be what is that stickiness 
um, yeah. sort of allows people to grow and become those exceptional injectors with exceptional followings and making mass amounts of money. It's not about, it's not, obviously you have to have the skill, but there are a lot of people with the skill. The skill is, yeah. it's, a, it's a function of practice and, you know, aptitude. Um, but in terms of how you make that patient feel and the experience you give them, that's something that a lot of people don't do that well. It's, it's sort of like, it's a secondary thought. That set, that initial consultation, okay, what are you here for? Yeah, we'll throw 30 units of Botox there. We'll do this, we'll do that. Yeah, cool. No worries. See me. I'll see you in three months. That's that's what it's become to a, to a, to a large extent. What do you think, Jake? Well, I mean, yeah. Are you going to check? No, I, I agree. And uh, that's where I think uh, the the injectors with the X factor are those people that are establishing that connection and that bond and people are just excited to come and have a chat with you. Yes, they're going to get their treatment, but they enjoy spending time with you at the same time. And, uh, you know, they become your friends as well as your patients because you enjoy that connection. Um, and, and I enjoy it from the doctor's point of view as well. You know, I've got people who I look forward to seeing. It's the same thing from my, from my angle as well. So yeah, but see, the cause is right. The effect is the money. Correct. Yeah. You know, and you and you do it because you want to do it. So you're never going to be out of business Perfect. because people yeah. are going to come back to you. Look, I remember years ago there was when we were kids, there, there was video stores, right? Yeah. It was you go to the video store. Yeah. And it was great. Right. Pre-Netflix. <laughs> Pre-anything, right? And I remember there was this guy in Perth and they opened up a big block, whatever it was, Blockbuster back in the day, yeah. whatever. You could not go to the big the big video store because he was so good, and he looked at you and he remembered your name and he remembered if you had a dog and he remembered something about you. So, if I was in the business, knowing that say they're doing a certain amount of lips or Botox or whatever, me I don't care who's in the business against me because I know I'm going to be your friend and I know you're going to be a client for life. Yeah. Just, I, 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 I've ne- I came to America, I've never had a resume. Never. If I have an idea for a podcast, I call someone up and go, this is the idea, let's write it. Okay. And we do it. We put it out. I can pitch it. I can sell it. I got, I'm, I'm now negotiating with agents on my new book, and I called a bunch of really big editors, and I was like, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, who do you want to meet? Cool. But I, I, I always call people back. If people need me, I'm there for them because I build rapport. I might, everything I do is based on rapport and networking, yeah. everything. I learned a tip from a, a doctor a couple of years ago, and it, it might sound contrived, but the net effect is exactly what you're saying. So if you've got you know thousands of patients, you can't possibly remember everyone's husband's name and dog and how many kids they have. But you know, add that to your consultation form write down what their job is and where they live and, and all that kind of stuff. Because even if you're having to remind yourself from your notes, at least you're acknowledging it when they actually come in and that person feels like special that you actually remembered and cared. That's not bad. That's being smart because that's just taking information. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. If I write down what you like, I've paid attention to what you like. I look at, oh, well, how's that? That's not, that's not cheating. That's being, the, I think it was the, um, the president or the, the main guy at Southwest Airlines. There was something like 16,000 employees and he used to handwrite birthday cards. Wow. Jeez. Well, 
I guess pe- people are searching for significance and to be appreciated and recognized. I mean, there's a reason why everyone wants to be famous. Well, most people want to be famous is because they want people to recognize, they want to be acknowledged. They want to be recognized. And whether that's fame on, you know, on a, a Netflix series or being a, a famous actor or sports person or whatever the, the case may be, or just being someone that remembers you when you see them the next time. Hey, how are you? You know, how is your dog? How's your wife? How's your, how's your mom? I heard she was, you know, she was unwell last time we spoke. That's still a form of recognition. It's still a form of being acknowledged and feeling significant, not just another person in a sea of people. Yeah. It's like this person took the time to remember me it ma- and it makes them feel good about themselves because it's like, well, what did I do to make this person remember me? Wow. It's, it just becomes this sort of circular, circular net effect. And, you know, getting, I mean, Jake, I mean, I've sat at my front desk in my clinic and taken calls and patients. There's injectors that are probably, you know, well, I know you probably disagree with this, but can probably do similar treatments to what you can do. But it's about, I want to see Dr. Jake. I want to, you know, he's not, he's busy for the next two weeks. I'll wait three weeks. Yeah. You know, that, that's, you know, and that's what separates what you do from a lot of what other injectors do is you must be doing something right in the consult room because there's a lot of people that can get results, you know, similar to what you're doing, but it's how do you make people feel, you know, do they, they feel confident in your ability to deliver the treatment? They feel safe. There must be some kind of connection there, whether it's friendship or you've got something in common, but there's something that is driving those people back to come and see you because there's no shortage of options. Yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I've recognized that exactly what you said, this isn't a, tra- a transaction about, I'm going to make your wrinkles better today. It's actually how I'm going to make you feel better today. And the wrinkle is just like the superficial thing that I do, but they go home feeling better about themselves as a result of that. And so what you're really doing is you're treating people's emotions is really what you're doing in the aesthetics game, whether it's bigger boobs or thinner. Yeah. Okay. The superficial thing is the boobs, but you feel more confident about yourself and therefore you can flourish and wear different clothes and all the rest of it. So Mm. I agree, but you know what? Here's the thing. I don't think like, I don't look at it as a superficial thing because say, say you're abused, say you've been beaten down, say something happens and aesthetically that change will affect you in a, in a positive way that, you know what I mean? People shouldn't focus on that anymore. The stigma of this and this and this, because, you know, it's not just, you, you, you're trying to help people. Look, society is always going to look at people a different way. That's just the way it is. So if you can bring service and help someone aesthetically from where they are, that's a massive service. Yeah, 100%. Do you know and, what I'm saying? And that's a massive service. And, you know, and I've got some uh, patients who I know as soon as they come in their room, they're going to verbally unload about work or about their terrible husband or something. And it's predictable because I get to know their personality and it's almost like it's. A, I'm not. I'm not joking about this. It's serious. It's almost like a... Um, therapy a therapy yeah it is the 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 botox or whatever i do is just sort of you know it's almost automatic they know it's going to happen i do it but really we're talking about their you know their difficult situation and mm. and, it, and it's almost uh yeah it's a therapy don't have to be a perfect example right we're on a we're on a conversation like this and and jake started off by saying i don't know about this motivation stuff right but I can tell just even on this three-way, he's, he's such a warm guy. You're a really warm guy. No. I can just tell that. You're just kind, you're warm. I can see it. You know what I mean? I can feel it through this, which is crazy. So in person. So I'll give you the perfect example. I go to this barber, right, this little lady. She tells me a life story from the beginning. 
the 20 I pay her so much more than she charged me. The 20, 30 minutes I spend with her is so therapeutic from the conversation. I purposely let, get scruffy to go to her because I love her so much and she <laughs> needs the money because I just love the conversation and we click and I get her a coffee and we talk and she looks forward for it every couple of weeks and it's that connection. What people f- forget right now is the human connection. So I think that's the classic example of, you know, the barber or the hairdresser. They're the person that knows everyone's gossip because, you know, yes, you're getting your hair cut, but really you've got to like that person. Otherwise, it's <laughs> a really painful half an hour or 20 minutes, whatever it is. <laughs> it's going to be horrible. Yeah. And especially if it's injecting someone. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. If you don't connect with that person, forget it. They're not going to suffer, <laughs> are you? Yeah. No. Well, it's this, emer- it's this emerging area because it's not a new concept to go every month or whatever it is to go and get you. I mean, I'm my own barber, so I see myself every day, but in terms of people going to get their hair cut, like it becomes like just part of their routine and this whole area of cosmetic medicine and going back for your cosmetic injections every three to six months, it's a fairly new concept for people. So you're sort of like, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but you're sort of like half hairdresser, half doctor because no, it's, it's not people, people associate the doctor with, I go to the doctor when I'm sick. I go there when I'm dying. I go there because, you know, I want advice on my pregnancy or whatever the case may be. It's it's not a it's not a ritual that they go through. It's sort of like a it's a, you know, a few a few it's it's uncommon. You you might go a couple of times in your life to go and see someone about something serious as you get older, but I mean it's not it's not part of your routine. Whereas what you what's emerged now is this you you've almost become like a an over, like an overqualified hairdresser because <laughs> you are now expected to be to be able to form these relationships with people yeah it's new yeah yeah you you are absolutely that's the traditional doctor put it that way yeah 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 and it's interesting that people will make their decisions based on emotion and then they will justify them with logic people come and see you people will come and see you they've already emotion they're already emotionally invested they've already made the decision that the you know that then they'll find reasons why they need to come and see you. i need to go and see dr j because this wrinkle's really coming here it's really bothering me but it's really about they've already emotionally made the decision and then they search for the ways in which to justify themselves with logic like if you want to buy a new car you're like you see the car you love it and then you think to yourself okay how do i justify this it's better on fuel economy it's got space for the kids it's got long range we're going lots of holidays together but before you've even started going through those reasons you've decided you're going to buy that car but yes. now you just got to prove it to yourself. You got yeah. you got to convince yourself on a logical on a logical level why you should do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess the other barrier to people definitely meeting a new injector or a new doctor is trust. Uh, and to, to develop that trust, you've got to have the rapport first. It's not really about the treatment; it's about who you are as a person. And if you know that first minute or two of your interaction isn't good everyone's on the back foot and it's awkward and they, and they don't trust you. And then, you know, it never really works. Whereas if you're warm, open, you ask them about themselves and they feel like they can trust you and they divulge, then, then that's the path to go down. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I find, again, putting that into real terms, I think people are rushing to get to the treatment. When people come in, it's, they're rushing to get the treatment done, get the patient out the door. They're yeah. not thinking about that consultation process, which, well, you know, Jake, we've, we've had many conversations with people like Penny, um, who's a nurse that comes on our podcast regularly, um, and talk about these kinds of things is that people are missing that. They're missing the most important part of their treatment, which is understanding their patient and making the connection. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's, it's a human behavior now we're rushed. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think now more than I – look, we come out of lockdown, people may have spent – I mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but like – America's a disaster. So yeah. if you can't, if you look, let me put it to you this way. 
over the last 90 days when we've been locked down, if you weren't communicating with your patients and you weren't communicating with people, I've started, I, all right, I'll give you a perfect example. I lost 200 speaking gigs this year. 200. Right? Oh. 200. I was booked. My book's doing really well, my first book. And I sat down and I was like, hmm, this is interesting. What do I do? So I contacted Recovery Today magazine and I said, hey, you should do a feature story on me. Built rapport with the guy that had the magazine. And our interview turned into two and a half hours. And I asked him who was on the cover of the magazine because my 14 years of sobriety was coming up. And he said, Nikki Six. And I'm like, all right, I like Nikki. I personally like Nikki Six. I know him. He's a great guy. Is he a musician? Sounds familiar. Uh, Motley Crue. He's he's great. He's great. And I said, well, could you do me a favor? My 14 years is April 16th. I know the issue comes out April 14th. Could you at least put me somewhere on the cover? He said, I'll give you a small spot on the cover. So he kept calling me back. He He was struggling with some stuff. I kept picking up the phone. Two days before the issue comes out, he calls me. He goes, I bumped Nikki Six. I gave you the cover. Hmm. Then I said to him, hey, we should do a podcast together, the Recovery Day podcast. My good friend who got me sober, who got out of the business, he's 29 years sober, I said, why don't we do this podcast together? And now we're six guests in. Now, this, the week before that happens, I, did, I was on a podcast with Dave Melser. Dave Melser and I did one podcast together. and. I was like, we had a great podcast. I'm like, we should go out. We should do a tour. He's like, absolutely. Pandemic hits. I called Dave three days later. I said, we should do a live stream called The Dose, Dopamine, Oxytocin, Serotonin, Endorphin, between David and Diamond. It's a spinoff on Diamond Dave, Dave Lee Roth. He's like, let's do it. We've been running for four weeks. Then I decided to sit down and write a new book. Okay. I get a winner opportunity to write this new book. I wrote the new book in six weeks. And now I'm shopping, shopping it to really big publishing companies and agents. Then I got hired by one of the biggest interventionists there is who works for Oprah. And he had under me because I'm the only guy doing interventions right now because everyone's afraid to go out. So due to the pandemic, I started three new platforms, wrote a new book, and I'm busy with interventions. I don't know what other people are doing, but I got no issues right now. <laughs> and I'm just calling people up. Do you know what I mean? And building rapport with them. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I adjust my prices for families if they don't have insurance. I'll do it. No problem. You know, so you just got to dive in and get your feet wet. Can I ask you, like, you used the word interventions a couple of times. What, 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 what does that form does that take? I intervene when someone's making a disempowering choice from a drug addict, a sex addict, or someone that's blowing up their life. And usually the family calls me and then I come up with a plan and a strategy of how to get them to a safer place, usually some kind of treatment center or somewhere where they can spend some time away from making disempowering choices. And then we do the casework afterwards Mm. to keep them on track. I'm trying to, I don't know much about um, your field, but like, let's say someone is a smoker and, you know, they're not dumb. They know that they, they should probably give up and they might have tried a thousand times and they can't. Lots of doctors are smokers. So. <laughs> yeah. Like how, how do you, I, I don't understand how, how do people suddenly make that connection that, okay, I'm going to do it. Like you became sober 14 years ago. How did you just go, right, I'm going to do it. Well, mine was a, I believe that 
there has to be a spiritual shift. So for me, I was partners with Scott Weiland, who is the singer in Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver. And I was shooting a show with him and it was very subtle. We were, you know, friends and I was making a lot of crazy choices. And I just saw him and his wife just having issues. And it made me step back and look at my life. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give this, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to, in 10 years from now, I don't think I'm going to be in a good space. Ironically, 10 years later, he was dead and I was detoxing someone in a rehab. Yeah. So I think you have to have, you know, it's really interesting. There's a saying in life where they say, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. Mm -hmm. If you're always a student, you'll always be taught. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, when, when I was, uh, I watched a, a YouTube, I think it was, of yourself and heard a bit about your backstory and uh, your addictions, etc. Then you did this half marathon challenge last year where you did 30 half marathons in 30 days, which is mental. But then it got me thinking. I was like, I think he's still addicted. He's just challenging his addiction to something else. I yeah, don't believe you know that you're not addicted. You are still an addict. You've just challenged uh-huh. to something else. Yeah, a normal person shouldn't do what I did. I yeah. had stomach surgery and then after stomach surgery, just started to run half marathons, then ran 30 in 30 days with a hernia and I've got ulcerated colitis. Yeah, yeah I'm out of my mind. Yeah. You know, and you wrote a book in six weeks. You're, you're the type of guy that you need to channel your energy somehow. Oh, yeah. And that's what you do and, and it's positive. Well, I look at you like this. When people ask me about addiction, the energy is still there. How did Robert Downey Jr. go from crackhead to Iron Man? I've no idea. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> he was a crackhead, then now he's Iron Man. See what I'm saying? It's where you focus because what you focus on expands. So if I take that energy, the addiction event, look, someone asked me the other day and they're like, I had hernia surgery, what? couple of months ago they're like are you still in shape i'm like yeah they're like are you no but could you go out and i'm like all right so literally i hadn't ran haven't ran since september after i did the half marathons i ran out ran a six miler and did a 30 mile bike ride like it was nothing so it's just my brain i'm white but i'm i'm but this is the difference i know the way i'm wired yeah so i know the difference of where i should place my energy I read a book a week. I taught myself pretty much how to read a book a week. I break everything down. I figure out how many words I can read in a minute. Then I calculate how many words per page. Then how, how long it should take me to read that. Then I find out how long the average book is. And then everything, I break it down into time, time codes. Because if I don't as an addict, guess what? I'm out there making bad choices. Yeah. So you need the structure. You need to structure and to quantify everything. Everything. And then I'm of service always. I get up at four in the morning and I, I go till eight o'clock at night. And it's, I never always have energy. And you have a kid and a wife. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's related or not, but let's sort of turn this back to business. There, you know, I've, I've met business owners and clinic owners who, from my perspective, make mistakes. And they never seem to get it. They're just on this repeating cycle of not understanding themselves. And from a you know from a external view, I can look at it and I'd be like, I wish they could just understand what they're doing. So how do how do people understand themselves better? Is I guess what I'm asking. How do you understand your own wiring and what maybe your uh, what your negatives are, so you can spin those into positives? 
It's a good question. Well, if, if you keep if you keep approaching a problem or, or a situation and and you're not prepared to step back and go to a mentor or ask someone if you're stuck and say, like, all right, I'm I'm get I'm looking for a result, but I'm not getting that result. Yeah. Therefore, my approach has to change. So do you think it's just ego that holds people back or they really don't? Oh, absolutely. Ego and arrogance because you don't want to take, you don't want to take um, criticism. Mm. Look, there's three, the, Napoleon Hill talks about in Think and Grow Look Rich, never be the smartest guy in the room and have a mastermind group. Okay? Have people that have either done it or have more experience and go to them and then use the Disney strategy, which is have the dream, Get the realist team, someone that's going to criticize it and look at the obstacles and then, then go back and look at all the things that can go wrong yeah. and then run the sequence. Because when you look at it, right, there's no such thing as failure. You're getting a result, but you may not get the result you desire. Mm. So there's three things in life, time, resources, and money. With enough time, with enough money, with enough resources, you can do anything, right? Yeah. Okay. How do you spend your time? Look at 24 hours in a day. Where do you spend it, right? Don't worry about resources. Become resourceful. Money, bring value to other people, and you'll make money from nothing. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So if I step back and I say it's writing a book or doing something, if an editor says I don't like it, I step back and I look at it and go, what don't you like? then I can ask myself honestly, okay, maybe they're right. What's my audience? If I know who my audience is and what I want to do to affect it and value I want to bring to them, I'm always going to get a result. Mm. Yeah. And I think um, in addition to that is that we form negative habits. And it's just like if you walk along a, a bush trail that's never been walked before, it's sort of rough. You're pushing scrub to the side. You're sort of, you know, walking over leaves. And then like, the hundred, the hundredth person after you that's come down that path. All of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but as a, as a process of all those people walking that path that you've walked, you develop like a trail, and it's the same in your brain. If you do the same thing over and over again, you develop a track, and yep. your brain will just go. It's, it becomes a habit. So yep. it's almost like you. It takes a while, and we, I guess we're, we're venturing into the um the topic of neuroplasticity and all these sorts of things. But in terms of being able to re-engineer that you, the way you think, break those habits and form new ones, there's a physiological process that needs to happen. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. 10,000 hour rule. It's been studied. Neurons that fire together, wire together, the somatic connection. It's through repetition. It's there's look, there is no such thing as talent. There is inclination. We are all inclined differently. Like for example, right? I've always been good at speaking in front of people. Okay, always been exceptional at it. That's my inclination. If you look at my personality type, I'm the ENFJ, which is right. I'm the outgoing. I'm you know I'm an extrovert. So I am going to be more inclined than an introvert to speak in front of people. That's just who I am. But get the introvert and get me and sit us down to do a task where we have to sit down. That's not my inclination. I have to work harder. So if I stay where I'm good and inclined to do, like if you've got a product, I'm just good at selling. Now that may, I may not be able to package the product, but can I sell it? That's my inclination. So what do I do? I stay within my field. Then I study my ass off and I learn the skill and I learn rapport and I learn the product and I learn service and I be of service. So is it hard? Look, 
is it hard for me to get up in the morning when there's a pandemic? No. Why? Because I can do, I could be a motivational speaker till I'm 80. I could be that guy that writes books till he's 90 and piss people off. Like he's still writing books. He's still speaking. He's still running marathons. So it's great because I've got, I've got purpose just like you, Jake, you can get up and you could do surgery. If there is a, you with the, even with the bonsai stuff you do, we have purpose. So it, we were, if you have purpose and a cause, you're recession proof. Yeah. It's just find, right. finding, finding your calling. And that's it. And I guess not trying to be like everyone else. You need to find your own style. You need to find what works for you. I think we're all trying to find someone to look up to and go, I'll have to do it exactly like that. Whereas I think perhaps we're taking it too literally. We need to find our own path to success and our own style and do things that suit our personality type and our inclinations and the things that, that, that we find enjoyable and interesting. Jay's got a question. Yes, sorry. I, I'm trying to formalize <laughs> it. So like how do you get maybe your clients or I don't know how you, how you work with people to understand their own personality? Because a lot of people won't. Like you said, you're an extrovert, therefore you can channel your career and skill set in that way. But a lot of people might not have voiced to themselves, actually, I'm an introvert and I didn't even know that. I listen, first of all, how you sort information. So I kind of listen to how you process. Mm -hmm. I ask you questions, what you like, why you like it. And then I try to form where along the way, if you're stuck, you lost your authentic self. Because the beginning of your life, you had to fit, fit into some kind of family system. And in that family system, you played a role. Whether you were the hero, the scapegoat, the lost child, right, the troublemaker. And depending on how big that dysfunctional family system was, you formed a fantasy bond with your parents. Because when you're six or seven and mum and dad are crazy, you can't get up and say, hey, I'm getting a job. You guys are nuts. You have to say, well, mum and dad, that's mum and dad. Before the internet, if dad said the moon was made of cheese, I guess the moon is made of cheese. Yeah. Then you get into a social class with other kids and you start to go, well, am I going crazy? Then the hormones kick in and then you're all out of place. So when you get to a certain age, I listen to how you sort information. Mm -hmm. And I kind of look at you and there's a great thing that's called 7% words, 38%, uh, so 7% tonality, the words, 38% tonality, 55% physiology. I look if you're congruent in all areas because you could say the right words, have the right tone, but do completely opposite. Right. Mm. So if you're telling me something, but I'm, but you're not acting congruently, then I pull you up and I start asking your purpose, your why. What made you do that? Why did you do that? What's the motivation behind the motivation? Mm -hmm. And then I start looking at the triggers. And then that gives me a really good picture of how you view the world yeah. and how you sort information. Then I get in and try to make you better, help you make better choices by matching you first, building rapport, understanding where you're from, and then suggesting other things that make you make more empowering. Yeah. I've just thought of something that connects to our world, David. So yeah. I, know, I know a clinic at the moment and they've uh, hired a coach. I don't know what his title is. Let's call him a life coach. And he's sat all of the staff down to try and work out why they're always butting heads and why does one person hate each other and so on. And so I don't know how it works, but it's maybe, you know, Mike, it's sort of called color typing where. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. It's, it's a good, um, everyone has a different uh, color, yeah. like a personality type. 
Well, yeah, that's good. It's, it's, I don't it's, know why I said color. I know there is another method, color. Hey, actually, some of them are squares, some of them are circles, some no, of them yeah, are profiling and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, you know, once I guess you have got your defined personality and you understand, oh, I'm a seller and I'm a, I need a carrot to work hard versus someone who's more creative but doesn't need the carrot, for example. Yeah. Then yeah. you can channel your team, I guess, to work them, get them to work better within that skill set rather than constantly getting the person who's not good at selling to sell. No, it's good. It, 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 it's basically how people sort. I look at it like this. It's very simple. Two people are in an argument, right? And I pull them aside and I separate them. I'm like, what's the disagreement about? And the woman goes, he's disrespectful. I'm like, okay, so you have a, your, one of your values is, is respect. You want to be respected. She says, absolutely. I go over to the other guy and I say, what's the problem? She's disrespectful. I said, perfect. You use respect. You need respect. Great. I go back to her. Why is he being disrespectful? What's the rule? I know the value. What's the rule? Well, he doesn't show me affection. Okay. I got that. I go to him. Why is she disrespectful? Because when I get home after working all day and like she doesn't wash the dishes. Okay. That's a little weird. I'm like, do you, what do you show affection? How do you show affection? He says, I buy her roses. Okay, I go back to her. Do you like roses? I don't like roses. I want love and affection. I go back to him and say, hey, she doesn't like roses. You know what he says? Well, what kind of woman doesn't like roses? The one you're married to. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a value, but what are the rules? Yeah. So if I, if my wife, right, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I went on a date with a girl once. She was a triathlete. I was in New York doing too much cocaine, acting like a maniac. She goes to me, tomorrow morning, do you want to go for a run? I said, absolutely. I went for a run with her. I wasn't running at the time, but I liked it. So I ran 10 miles. I was literally broken. I hadn't run. The crack it in me. I got up and ran 10 miles. I called a friend of mine. I'm like, I did. I can't walk. This chick is crazy. So we dated for like a month and, you know, she'd get up. I'm out all night partying and she's getting up. And I'm like, this ain't going to work. Hmm. We're on with different different rules for fun. Years later, now I'm sober a long time, and she sent me a text, and she said, "You know, I broke the world record, did the thirty up." She goes, "Hey, Mike." I go, "What?" She goes, "Remember that time I told you to go for a run, and you thought yeah. I was crazy? Now you're the guy getting up at four in the morning running. Remember, you used to get up at the four in the morning after doing all that cocaine. I'm like, there you go, different rule for fun. Yeah. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's a really interesting thing when people are disagreeing. They're disagreeing on the rules and the values. Mm. Yes. Would you be able to use that information in terms of like you're circling back to the consult process in terms of how you're talking about people sorting information? Would, how would, would you be able to use that when you were like meeting someone for the first time, a potential patient? And yeah, that's that- how I do it. That's how I do it. First of all, I'm going to ask you one question each. Okay. What kind of car do you drive, David? The Tesla. <laughs> what kind of car do you drive, Jake? Very practical VW Tiguan. Great. All right, David, Tesla. Now, yeah. when you bought that car, yeah. three questions I'm going to ask you. Did you hear about it? Did you hear about it? Did you see it or did you feel it? I saw it. I saw, it. It. saw it. All right. After you saw it, what happened? Did you go down and t- do a test drive? No. Well, I went on the internet, started watching reviews, started looking at the information, um, and then I went and test drove it. 
So that okay. test driving it was the last thing for me. Yeah. But when you test drove it, did you feel like that was it after you test yes. drove it? Yeah. Jake, you said it was a VW. So I'm I'm guessing maybe I'm wrong. It was more of a feeling for something that you that you could afford. Is that just fine? Or what do you what 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 made you do it? I have zero interest in cars and it was very practical and affordable. Okay. So you saw it differently. David, you're visually stimulated, he's practically stimulated. Yeah. yeah. So if I looked at you, I would first of all ask you how you sort, because I'm going to match you on your sort. Anything I'm going to do with you in a consultation, I'm going to talk about visual. I'm going to show you a video. I'm going to talk practicality and price that makes sense to Jake. I'm not going to show him videos. I'm going to match him where he feels it's practical and worth it. You don't need that. What you want to do is see it in a video be test and then go to the drive. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to show you brochures. I'm going to map the brochures the out. Basic thing, David can be conned with sexy adverts. He, I'm the right, worst. But, I'm so I'm such an easy right, con. But I, he's a consumer. <laughs> but he's a visually stimulated. So how's this? If we were in a meeting at work, I wouldn't say to David, "Can you hear what I'm saying?" I'm be like, David, I want to show you something. Yeah. Do you see what I'm talking about? Yeah. With you, I would say, "Can you feel it?" Can you feel how if we make these changes now, it's going to affect us in the future in a positive way? Mm -hmm. It's going to save us money. You'd be like, all right, right? Yeah. Because you want to feel it first and make sure it practically makes sense. You're a practical guy. Yeah, yeah. So in a consultation, the first thing I'm going to do is figure out how you sort. I'm going to ask you where you eat. I'm not even going to talk about surgery. I'm going to figure out your modality and how you're motivated. I'm going to ask you where you eat. You, you get a perfect example. Someone goes to a wedding. All they talk about is the music. Perfect. I know they're auditorial. Someone, someone talks about the food. That means they're stimulated, but gustatory. They want to know what is it. Some people like the smells. Dude, it smelled so good, right? They're olfactory. So you, I listen to how people sort, and then I match them because that's going to give me an idea and a consultation of how they're motivated, right? There's no, David, you're stimulated visually. You're not worried about price. Jake's worried about price. Does it make sense to his budget? That's because he's Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? So in a consultation, you first want to listen to the person and build rapport with them and and understand we all sort different. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you a a perfect example out of you two guys. Would you go and see a motivational speaker that sucked if the information was good? Or is it the person first? For me, it's person. You? If the information was good, but he wasn't a great speaker. Well, yeah. But the information was good. <laughs> I don't know. never done it. But I, I don't know. Uh, probably, yeah, if the information's good, then, yeah, I'll probably listen to him. What about, See? okay, put it as an injector, like an injectable trainer for Jake. He might go to a conference and there might be a doctor that's boring as batshit. But he's got like credentials up the wazoo. He's professor of everything. He's like invented Botox. Like you, but he was a shit presenter that's probably an example that jake can relate to okay but if the information was good you'd probably go right yeah yeah because that's how he saw it because see that's why he's a doctor because it's informing him and he will then process the way and use his modalities me if the guy presenting it sucks i can't listen to him like, this guy's garbage i'll go do that myself so it's always that's how and that's how you get a team together and motivate them yeah. See, when I send videos to people, if I work with people, they're always different. If I know someone's visually, I send them visual. If I know someone's not really visual, but they like music, there won't be a lot of visual. It'll be inspiring music. Yeah. 
Do you see what I'm saying? And I just take people through how they get inspired. And it's the same when I talk. You know what I mean? If I'm in a consultation with someone with a client, I listen to how they sort and I match them. And that's not being a douche. That's actually matching them. You're not trying to, this is where's another thing as well. This is where motivational speakers get a bad name. And I love Tony Robbins because I know he studied NLP. He was we worked with the founders. I've studied NLP. People get a bad rap because they say rapport and persuasion is misleading. No, it's not. If you do it for the right reasons. Now, obviously, FBI agents use it. A lot of people use it, mirror and matching. But it's about sitting with someone and understanding how they process and then matching them from there and leading them into a positive decision. That's not negative. What, what sort of people come to, forget the addiction side of things, but what sort of people come to see you just for the motivational or mindset type stuff? All types. I, I work with a big company called AXA Equitable, which is one of the biggest wealth management companies. I work with all the, the, the managers um, because they're going through stress. I do a lot of mindfulness in the workplace where I'll go into, I work with car dealerships. So any idea with people, I don't worry about what they're selling. I worry about the person. I help you get, get your daily rituals right so you perform higher. Yeah. I, I mean this in the nicest way, but I struggle with it because I'm like, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to work it out myself. And maybe that's the problem in itself. No, because, but if you're doing, if you're doing fine, maybe you're autodidact. Maybe you don't need someone telling you what to do. I mean, look, we can all improve. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that I've got it all sussed out, but I'm just saying that, I don't know, yeah, I, I struggle but with But maybe you do. Maybe you do have it sussed out. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Definitely don't. No, no, that's not a judgment. What I'm trying to say is that I don't, if someone's like in their thing, I don't tell people what to do. If they come to me and they say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, I'll be like, well, let's look at the area and let me suggest some stuff. Maybe I've had some experience in that area. Yeah. And I step back and I try to say, look, it's like this. There's a difference between the guy in the ring and the guy in the corner. Different angle. Mm -hmm. Right? If I'm in the fight and the corner man says when I come down, hey, you're dropping your hand, step to the right and hit him with the right hand. So all I do is step back because I don't take it personal. Mm -hmm. And the light person's taking it personal about their life, their business, their family, and go, hold on, step back for a second and let me look at this. All right, what you're saying is this, this, and this. Why don't we try this angle, this approach? I, I, yeah, I guess what I'm asking is what, what are you doing at your, uh, your talks or your events? Because like, presumably these people are successful people running businesses and you know, they're CEOs of companies, et cetera. So like, what, what are you giving them? Is it a straight motivation? Are you talking about motivational coaching? Uh, I didn't know there was two different things. Yeah. But uh, well, tell me about motivation then. If I go into motivation, I give you an hour talk and I, I start with my background and tell you where I've been and what I, where I've lost and where I've come back and the tools I use in goal setting and how I break down goals and how to achieve purpose and how to prioritize your time. I use a method called Pareto's Law, law which is the 80-20 rule. Um, and I break down 24 hours and show you how I spend my 24 hours. I teach you about the law of attraction, like attracts like, what you focus on expands. You know what I mean? And that's just the reticular activating system of the brain. It's the net. So if you sit there all day and you focus on the negative, you ain't going to see the positive. Mm -hmm. And then I help people reprogram their subconscious minds. I teach them how it works. I teach them how meditation works. 
I do breath work. I teach them box breathing. Box breathing is a Navy SEAL breathing technique, which helps you manage the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is fight, flight, and freeze. If you're stuck in your sympathetic nervous system, you get sick because you're in emergency mode. And that's why you have immune problems, immune deficiencies, and all autoimmune diseases are really based because we're stuck in the sympathetic nervous system too long, right? So I go through that process. If it's coaching, it could be a seven-week coaching course where I could send you a workbook I do and I break the workbook in seven weeks and I go in and I work on people's rapport, modalities, breath work, goal setting, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, discipline, and willpower. I can see David getting very excited. This is like ringing. This is your thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, these are all life skills and you can apply these to whatever it is you do in life, whether you're a bricklayer, whether you're a plastic yeah. surgeon or a cosmetic injector or a pilot, doesn't really matter. All these skills will only make you better at what you do and make you happier in your life. You can. Well, let me put it to you this way, Jake. Okay. What separates <clears throat> any, any industry good from great is under stress. Some people become passive. Some people become aggressive. Some people reflect and take action. It's how you sort under stress. And that all comes back to self-awareness. Yeah. Great athletes know how to come inside and guess what? They're clutch. Great surgeons, when you have to cut someone open and you're looking at that body, you're like, okay, you didn't learn this in school. How good are you under stress? Mm -hmm. And that separates ordinary from extraordinary. Yeah. Fair enough. And that comes from knowing yourself. Yeah. I think that's, if I could summarize what you're saying, it's about understanding yourself first. It's all self-awareness. Yeah. If you don't spend enough time testing yourself and pushing yourself, look, Teddy Atlas always says to his fighters, the fire's coming. Are you a firefighter? Some people run out of the burning building and want a trophy. And then there's guys that run in to save lives. There's a big difference. Yeah. You can't have self-awareness and run into a fire. You're backing yourself. You know what I'm saying? It takes a certain amount of courage to back yourself in anything. So going back to the, the work, to, to do this kind of work, you got to back yourself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? you got to go in deep and go, what am I worth? And then bring value to other people. You know, so we've got, everyone has to do work on themselves. You know, Jake, yeah. Jake, you back yourself. You know you're good at what you do because you love it. So you back yourself. Mm, yeah. Now, if I told you to get on a stage and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me in motivation talks, you'd be like, I ain't doing that. It's not my thing. Correct. But then if you told me to shadow you for 12, 15 hours a day, I'd be out of my comfort zone. That would, I would be like, that's really hard. I can't do that, what he does. Do you see what I'm saying? So. Yeah. It's knowing where you work, you, you focus your any. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Jake's head spinning. <laughs> yeah. It's good, but I like him. I like he's good. It's, it's the good questions. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jake? Tell me. We've been talking for about an hour. How, how are you feeling? I just, I, I, I think everything that Mike has said has totally made sense to me. We've had a really good conversation, but I'm like, I still don't get why these people go to these events. I, I, I think what I'm saying Possibility is... Possibility and hope. 
Yeah, but but do you feel like you have to be failing at something to want to be motivated to do that? I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I'm not. It's a good question, actually. Do mm. I feel like someone has to be failing or or not? Yeah, unhappy to some extent in some way. Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you go to a rock concert? Uh, I can't remember the last one I've been to. I saw Michael Jackson in, at Wembley when I was about 13. It's probably the last one I went to. Why'd you go to that? Because uh, parents got me tickets. <laughs> Why do you go to a sporting event? Ah, because it's, yeah, it's fun, isn't it? I don't know. Well, what kind of sport? Soccer or football. Let's, let's talk real, real words. Football. Uh, uh, soccer or, or, or America? Or, uh, no, he's talking about soccer. Soccer, yeah, but they call oh, it soccer. football in the UK. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 soccer. So you, you got a bunch. Why don't you, why don't you like rugby? I was forced to play at school and I hated it. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we weren't, we, no one played soccer. All right, it's a perfect example. So you go to a soccer game to watch a bunch of guys kick around a ball, right? Pretty boring. They're kicking around a ball and they can't use their hands. I guess what you're really doing <laughs> at a football game, like, it's, the, it's, it's the mass hysteria of uh, screaming and shouting and kind of letting loose, isn't it? Ah. Uh, so when you go to a motivation event, what do you want to do? You want to just let loose and forget yourself and maybe get taken away with possibility. It's the same kind of thing. What you do with it afterwards, look, how many people sit there and worship a soccer player? Oh, and and they how many people sit there and worship a team? They're fighting over a team. What is that stupidity? Oh, I think it's dumb. I don't get it. You do, but how many people do it? Oh, plenty. Because it's uh, it's a release, isn't it? It's it's a make believe thing that doesn't really exist. It, it is, you escape yourself. Yeah. So you go to a rock concert, you go to a performance, you go to that to try to escape yourself. Does it work? Well, let's look at the statistics. 90% of the people that join the gym on a, in January don't go afterwards. Only 10% use a gym membership. Yeah. So it's human motivation. Now, you're very rare because you show up, you have a job, you studied, you're a doctor, you're self-motivated, even though you don't think you're motivated. You are. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You got your yeah. shit together. I love the way these, these <laughs> podcasts always turn into Jake's Self-Help 101 kind of podcast. <laughs> no, but I, I, what I'm trying to say is, like, I like you because you got your shit together. Like, we get along. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't need to... Some people don't need it. Some people don't need it. Look, do I listen to motivational speakers? No. Do I l watch some to see what they're doing? Absolutely. Do I like people that do it? Yeah, I love some of the speeches. I can watch Martin Luther King's speeches. I can watch Les Brown. I can watch great podcasts. I appreciate it. I could watch you talk about medicine. Do you mm. see what I mean? I, I like to just watch everything, and then I like to sit and go, oh, I like that. I didn't like that. Oh, that was interesting. I just gather information because I think a, a one day – it may come up in a conversation. Someone may be talking about plastic surgery. I'm like, oh, dude, I know a guy that does that. Hey, so I just gather the information mm -hmm. and then I sort through it to what I need for the moment. Yeah. It's weird. Like maybe I haven't seen enough or, or, or understand the different types of uh, speakers, et cetera, but I've always assumed or thought it was a little bit um, brainwashy almost. It's like, you know, you get yeah, all these people hyped up and excited and depending on what you're talking about, they're there to kind of just 
kind of almost worship the speaker and kind of go away and change their life. It, it seemed a bit kooky in some way. I can't put that into words. No, no, no. I, 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 I very much respect what you're saying. And I do feel sometimes it becomes a little culty. Yeah, yeah, culty. And I agree with you 100%. It kind of reminded um, me of those crazy uh, preachers in the state. Oh, the yeah, ev- no, no, evangelicals, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I, but I do, no, no, do I absolutely agree with you on that. It, it can get a little weird. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? It, absolutely. I just don't, um, I mean, look, if someone asks me something, I just tell them what I do. If they want to come and see me speak, I'm just like I'm a normal dude that writes about my experience. If you, you buy the book, if you, oh, great, I'm, I don't change. Yeah, you seem extremely authentic, and you've got you know you've come from a real story, and you just tell your story. Yeah, I don't really try to seem, just seem really salesy. I can't really. They probably are, and a lot of the guys are salesy, and that's just that what the way they do it. And I just like like to sell it. You yeah. know what I mean? I try to like sit down and be honest and tell people if I foul the ball, I'm like, I foul the ball in this area of my life. And then I got it together in this area. And this is the tool I used. Yeah. Well, it's the same with injectors, Jake. You know, there's plenty of injectors whose work you go, eh, they're just going through the motions. You know, they're not delivering great results. You can tell they're not really passionate about what they do. They're here for a paycheck because they heard it's a lucrative area of the, of the industry to be involved in. You know, there are injectors and there are injectors. And I think that you're the, you're the rarity. You're good at what you do and you found what you love. So therefore, you don't feel this void in your life where you need to go out and get external motivation. But you're probably the exception to that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but I think you are. I think you are motivated internally. So that's why it's good. Yeah. And you're not a, um, and I like, you're not, what's the word? Um, you don't hate on anything. You just question it. But that's a good thing. I just you're not saying this is garbage you're just like oh it kind of seems a little weird and you're, you're probably right it is a little weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe I'm just I don't know yeah I think you said I'm just I'm confident in what I do and I just get on with it I don't feel like I but need what's wrong with that that's I think that's incredible that look look if someone says to me why do you do this I'm like because I bring value to people and I can inspire them and a lot of people need lifting as an interventionist the same I'm like I'll go anywhere anytime and I'll talk someone talk sense into someone because I spend time with them. Yeah. I don't have an agenda. My agenda is this, to lift people. I'm an engine, not an anchor. I don't want to drown people and pull them down. I want to lift them. That means picking up the phone, smiling at someone, being positive, writing something nice to them. That's what I, that's what I focus on. And if I wake up every morning and give people a dose of ha- positivity and happiness, my life is good. Mm. Yeah. I, I had a friend in the UK who was really, really negative. Like, you know, David, David and I joke that sometimes I'm a bit, um, defeatist in certain things, but my, I'm certainly not like, you know, a depressive person. I'm not that sort of person, but I'm only teasing you. I don't really yeah, I know. I know. But, uh, he was so negative, but you know, we were friends from school that I, I think that he found my attitude where I'm, you know, I don't really care about, you know, what other people do. I just get on with what I do. I think it really annoyed him. And we eventually actually basically went different paths and, and we're not friends now because of that, because we just constantly butted heads because he was just so negative the whole time. So, you know what they call that? A mismatcher. Yeah. Interesting. Everything you do, he mismatches. Yeah. And misery loves company. Yeah, and, and the glass was always empty, right? Let's pivot this away from me, David. What what, <laughs> what, what do you um, seek from, say, Tony Robbins or I don't know? Who? Oh, look, I've never I've never seen I've never actually been to a motivational speaker to be honest with you. 
Um, I've, I've just sort of seen snippets of what he does and, and sort of found it interesting. Um, Look, so in I'll be honest with you. He's the man. He really is. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think because he's become so popular, he's almost become a character of himself a little bit because he's just so overexposed and people have, it's sort of become like the stereotypical um, figure that you would associate with someone that works in motivational speak. You know, these are these videos of him getting people to run across hot coals and, you know, everyone chanting and it's sort of like, oh, that seems a little bit full on. But I guess unless you're there experiencing it, it's sort of taken out of context really, isn't it? Well, no, he did take Neil linguistic programming and he knows yeah. what he's doing with it and he did learn it from the beginning and it's all about neural associations and motivations and modeling people that were successful. Would it work in a sense of like I go and want to be a surgeon? No, because there's years and years and years and years of practice. But if I sat with a surgeon that was stuck and I understood his motivation and I got a better role model, a better surgeon, and I put him with that surgeon to match, that's how he does it. So mm. he would go to like go to Jake and spend six months with Jake and then go, okay, Jake's the top of the line. And he would go to a surgeon that wasn't as good and take what Jake was doing and then give it to that guy and go, that's how you'll be a success. He models behavior, yeah. which is nothing wrong with that. But it becomes a little bit crazy when people start chanting and doing stuff. Do I agree with that? Yeah. Would I want to be that guy? No, I just do me. But that's why I talk about addiction and I've got a different audience. But do I respect it and know what it is? Yeah. Do I dislike it? No, it's cool. I, some of the stuff he does is pretty cool to me. There's guys out there that I've seen that are academics and I watch them speak and I want to blow my brains out. <laughs> You know, because you've got to remember, it's splitting two worlds. You've got the academics that write great books that try to be speakers and they suck. Then you've got the motivational speakers that are dynamite on stage, but they don't write great books. Yeah. I try to just take personal experience and then go, this is what I've experienced and that's my audience. I think I was a little bit disingenuous with your answer, Jake. I, I don't, I haven't gone and officially seen motivational speakers, but getting back to what Mike said, I, you know, I watched Joe Rogan. I, I, I always seeking out like videos or things about things, or topics that I find interesting or inspirational. I'm, you know, I'm sending you Ted talks. We should get this person on. That sounds really interesting. Let's get someone on talk about neuroplast. So I, I guess I, I, I do do motivation and it's just because I find it a really easy way to change the way I'm thinking. And I feel like knowledge is no burden to carry. If I can easily get a piece of information or an insight into something, um, then why not? Yeah. You're, you're into the body hacking as well. Biohacking. Yeah, yeah. Bio, bio um, you know, like yeah, some yeah. of it's a bit extreme. Like, you know, people like Ben Greenfield, he's, he's pretty, pretty hardcore. So, I mean, I, I, just because I listen to it, I don't take everything on. It's just trying to take a little bit from everyone and then applying to what works for me. Okay. But that's probably, I, yeah. Yeah, it's good. How do you want to wrap it up? Well, just tell us, tell us all about your podcast. Tell us how people can get in touch. Your people book. want the mic time and experience. <laughs> my book, my book now is that's out. It's called Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. Yep. The new book will be coming out in the fall. I think the working title is A Dose of Positivity. I don't know if it's going to be that, but it might. Uh, we have the Recovery Day podcast, which will be coming out very shortly. We've been shooting the episodes. I have a weekly series online with Dave Melser called A Dose from Dave and Diamonds. I have another series in the works called Back from Broken, which will be on Entrepreneur Magazine. It's all these stories of people that have come back from being broke or broken. And I have another series that's online called Friday Fire. Yeah, right. Okay. You're a busy man. I try to keep busy. 
Yeah, well, we really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us because I know you're a busy man. So thank you. Thank you, guys. And it's the Mike underscore Diamond on Instagram. Perfect. Awesome. We're going to get a million new followers now. <laughs> you get a few. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank awesome, you. Awesome, guys. No, that was a, it, it was a fascinating talk, and I, I you know, I've, I've definitely learned something. So, thank you for your time. You guys are awesome. Thanks, Thanks mate. Thanks, Jake. Take care, mate. See you See later. See you, buddy. Take Bye, care. guys. For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions, or guest requests.